0: Welcome to Underground Bignolia Podcast with me, the one and only Desiree Avalto in the whole wide world. You are listening to the sounds of Jazz Addict's intro by Cosimo Fogg. Today's podcast continues my health and wellness series during COVID-19. My guest is Dr. Janine Hall, who is a board-certified pediatric emergency medicine doctor in Los Angeles. Wow, that's a mouthful. She received her undergraduate degree from Xavier University of Louisiana, a top black college that I also went to. She majored in biology pre-med and went on to medical school at the University of Missouri, Columbia. After this short music break, she'll tell us what it's like to work in a busy hospital in the middle Hall, who's very busy practicing pediatric emergency medicine at a Los Angeles hospital. She'll tell us all about what she does and how she's keeping our kids safe during COVID-19. And just know that Dr. Hall is all about masks, social distancing, and hand washing.
1: Oh, I'm Janine Hall. I'm a board-certified pediatric emergency medicine doctor. Um, I work with children at a Los Angeles hospital um and I provide care for those children who are sick and injured and provide guidance to their parents on a daily basis.
2: So of course I have to ask you about uh treating kids uh with COVID-19 as you are in Los in the Los Angeles area and Los Angeles is still known as one of the hot spots for the virus. What has been your experience being on the front line? Uh, dealing with COVID-19.
1: So it's been a pretty humbling experience. You have children who come in and they're pretty sick with respiratory virus because of COVID-19. Most of those children, they have underlying um, medical conditions like diabetes or um, congenital heart disease. So heart disease, they were born with um, And also some children who have immune deficiency, so their immune systems can't come back the virus like other children. Then we have children who are walking, talking, playing, and otherwise seem well, and they've suffered some injury from a fall. And we discover, because they have to go to the operating room, and so therefore we're testing for it, that they also have COVID, but they have no symptoms. So no fever, no cough, no runny nose, no vomiting, anything that you would think would be associated with COVID. So that's pretty humbling. So in my work environment, it's just important that we protect ourselves. Now, when you said that uh,
2: underlying problems, health issues, you mentioned diabetes. Now, are they having diabetes type 1 or type 2?
1: For the most part, children are having type 1 diabetes, but those who are obese, could have a a form of type 2 diabetes, but primarily in pediatrics, it's type 1.
2: And if you could briefly uh, tell me what's the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes?
1: Um, It depends on, I'm not an endocrinologist, uh, so um, can't go into uh, the specific differences. Um, They could potentially present the same, but for children who have type 1 diabetes, They have a tendency to be younger um, and they usually have more peeing than usual, want to drink more than usual, um, and may also experience weight loss. Um, In children who have type two diabetes, they seem to be older, teenagers, um, and they are obese. Now
2: What's interesting in in what you were saying is that in treating them, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems as though you guys, meaning the doctors, are kind of on your own with these conflicting guidelines from the CDC, from from the World Health Organization, from the health department. Do you feel that you have enough guidance or you're basically like, okay, I'm going to take every case as it comes
1: and make sure I'm looking out for certain things? In terms of COVID-19? Yes. Um, So I feel, for the most part, um, because COVID-19 is a new type of coronavirus and the entire world is learning as um, symptoms unfold and cases present themselves, I think, for the most part, we know um, how it's spread. It's uh, a respiratory virus, so it's spread by droplets from what we breathe out, um, coughing, sneezing, and those droplets can come into contact with surfaces, and so that's why it's a virus that can be easily transmitted or spread from one person to another. So we do know that. And so in the emergency setting, it's um, to our advantage just to assume that everyone has COVID-19 and therefore protect or safeguard ourselves from that. And what I mean by that is we're wearing special masks call in 95 and wearing eye protection and then making sure uh, that we wear gloves and we're practicing good hand hygiene to help prevent that spread.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, in dealing with children, obviously kids are some kids are already in school, some kids are about to head off to school, many kids are not in in school because of the remote learning. But for those who do have to interact with other people again, we get conflicting information from a variety of sources. Kids don't need to wear masks. They do need to wear a mask. They're not, you know, kids aren't more susceptible or they're not as susceptible, but they're car- <laughs> there's all kinds of information out there. Um, if if you have children, what, what are you telling parents whose children are going places in person? What are you telling parents uh, specifically uh, you know, about wearing masks if if they are in school and around so many people. It's kind of different if you're, like, you know, going to the grocery store, you know, but if you're in a school setting and you have all these kids around you, what are you telling those parents who find themselves in that situation?
1: Yes, yes. So I think the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC are pretty firm on um ways to protect yourself and prevent the spread of the virus. So in a school setting, um, especially, um, kids should be wearing their masks 100% of the time. Um, children two years of age and older should be wearing masks. Children less than two years, it's a choking hazard, so that's why that's not recommended. Um, Also, at least the minimum of six feet distance between um, children is important and uh, minimizing who's in their circle. So um, some people say that it's hard to wear a mask at all times. You have some schools who are implementing um, a small period of time where kids can um, take off their mask, of course, um, distance and not in the area that's spreading droplets. And then also the cleaning hands often, so soap and water and alcohol-based hand sanitizers. And so that should be done frequently if they ever come in contact with doors and um, chairs or tables or anyone else who's um, in their area. And also the 20 seconds of hand washing is key. So some people pretty much put on soap and water and then they rinse their hands as quickly as they can, but they're recommending that uh, they sing a happy birthday twice or you can sing the ABCs, and then you can constitute that as good hand washing, and you should do that as often as possible. Also, they Mm -hmm. should avoid uh, people who are sick. So if they find that their child is having fever, cough, runny nose, congestion, they have lost their sense of taste or um, smell, then they should be aware of those symptoms and they should keep their kids from going to school on those days. Um, In addition, if they find out, um, the L.A. Health Department um, says report anything um, that is out of the norm of regulations that they put forth. So if you're sending your kids into a school environment and you that they're not reinforcing hand washing or mask wearing, then you should report that to the public health department so that they can make sure that that's being adhered to.
2: So, what earlier you mentioned that some of the parents have been asking you for advice when uh, when they see you in the emergency room. What type of advice do you find yourself giving to parents?
1: For the most part, parents want to know how um, they can prevent their kids from getting the coronavirus or if they test positive for it. They're saying, how is this possible? We've been home the entire time. Um, I'm letting them know that coronavirus can live on surfaces for hours to days. So it's important that they're cleaning surfaces, high-touch surfaces frequently. So that's light switches, that's doorknobs, that's... um, doors, countertops, and even um, groceries and items like that that you get from the store, you can imagine someone touches it and then decides they don't want it right. and put it back. So you want to make sure right. you're wiping down anything that comes into your household.
2: Yeah, I am I am constantly, I have hydrogen peroxide, I have Lysol, yes. I have hand I have everything. Can you over, can you overdo it? Can you over sanitize?
1: I don't think you can over uh, sanitize. We don't want people cleaning every 30 minutes to an hour, but you want to make sure those surfaces are touched, um, I would say, once or twice a day at least um, in your home. Um, And if you live uh, in like an apartment complex or something like that, they should have protocols in place where they're cleaning high-touch areas. But in addition to that, it's important to limit what you're actually touching. So, if you're going up or down an elevator, you should use your elbow. Um, If you're touching doorknobs, some people um, use um, gloves, but you want to make sure you're changing those gloves. So, if you're using gloves to touch public um, um, handles, you don't want to use those same gloves to drive in your car.
2: Yeah, I, when, you know, when all this started happening, I was wearing the mask
1: along with the gloves. I've
2: always had g- gloves around, latex <laughs> gloves. And then I realized, like what you're saying, I can have the gloves on, but if I touch my eyes or my mouth or, you know, then it's not really helping.
0: After this short music break, Dr. Janine Hall discusses more mask safety tips and how to keep kids safe at college. Plus, she's not a fan of youngsters just hanging around the house and wants them out exercising. Yes, that can be done safely safely while still adhering to
1: thing is you're trying to prevent the spread of the virus. So um, you're if you have any symptoms or you don't have symptoms, that the air you're breathing out doesn't um, spread the disease. And then also that mask is creating a shield so that if someone is in your space, uh, the the droplets, the air that they're breathing out doesn't come in contact with you. So it's protecting you and it's protecting those around you. So either mask cloth or the surgical mask are acceptable, just that people are consistently wearing them. Now, I've seen a lot of folks
2: wearing, not necessarily kids, but more so adults wearing these masks with little, look like little filters. And I've heard that, well, they're filters, so you're bringing air in. What are your thoughts on these masks with the little dials on them that are, that are actually filters?
1: Yeah. I think it's hard because there's so many masks out there that uh they're trying to appeal to the mass uh the masses. But mm-hmm. when they have the filters, their air is coming out um and potentially um spreading the virus if they have it to others. But I think that's where the at least six feet of distance comes into play. Um, so it's important uh. just because you have on a mask doesn't mean that you can become a closer proximity to someone, you still should always maintain at least six feet of distance.
2: What what are your thoughts on on what's happening at colleges? A lot of colleges have said, well, we're gonna have classes and we're gonna we have we're gonna have all of these uh, things in place for them to do and now we're hearing a lot of colleges have rolled back and they're and it's now remote. The kids are now have to stay in their dorm rooms or some have even, you know, go back home. Uh, What is going on with our colleges? And if you could offer any advice to some of these administrators and to the students who some, you know, many of them were out partying without masks on. What would be your advice to people who are sending their kids off to college?
1: I think you touch on the very important thing. I think the colleges are doing a good job in trying to Put in safeguards to protect the students, but that's only during school hours. So, I recommend that um, students and their parents talk to them about that being responsible. I think there's a lot of people out there who think that they won't get COVID um, 19, that um, they're uh, immune to it, and so they're participating in activities that put them at higher risk of contracting COVID 19. So, um, Six feet of distance should maintain at all times. Mask wearing should be at all times. And so parties would not be the place to go. Places where um, more than ten people and really five are congregating are not the ideal place for college students to be right now. We're still in the Uh, coronavirus pandemic, and so we can't resume the normal activities we would, especially in the college setting where we know that they're always in close contact. So this is not a time to do that. Um, I think I was reading a newspaper article where um, someone stated that when they got to college, um, they contracted COVID-19, but they had only been there two days, so them being two days um, present at college meant they did not get it from college. <laughs> um, they got it right. at some place um, between home and transitioning to college, but that wasn't where they got it. So you have kids coming from all locations around the US and the world to one area, so it's important for them to continue to practice social distancing at all costs.
2: And now they're carrying it and possibly yes. spreading. A- so, um, as a black woman doctor, uh, we've heard a lot about how African Americans, Native Americans and Latinos are more susceptible to it because of I don't know, lifestyle choices or or our or, or disparities in health or systemic racism. And again, with you working in um a city like Los Angeles, which has a huge um Minority uh, population. What are your thoughts on on the racial disparities and um, and how we can deal with with uh, with this in general, with the systemic racism in health in general?
1: So, in general, I think it's important from a underrepresented uh, population that we seek the health care that we need. Um, and if at any point um, you're feeling like you have mistrust for your physician or your needs aren't being met, then you are well within your right to um, ask your insurance company um, for Another healthcare provider that can meet your needs. So I feel like some people I encounter feel that they have a assigned pediatrician or a doctor and that's the person they have to stick with. But I want your viewers or your listeners to know that um, they are the owners of their health. You know, no one can advocate for their health and the health of their children more so than themselves. So if they feel like they're not getting the services that their children need, it is well within their right to choose another healthcare provider that can meet those needs. Um, in terms of COVID-19 and um, kind of like the. Latinx and African-American and other people of color being disproportionately uh, affected by it, um, it may have something to do with, uh, like, our housing and um, um, our dwelling. So people and families may be in closer contact and not able to um, socially distance and wear masks, but um, it doesn't even have to be a mask that they purchase. It, they can get bandanas and things like that to still provide that. And just keeping their environment clean would be, um, and disinfected and sanitized often will help safeguard that. I think that's yeah. uh, where, why we saw New York the way it was because you have people who live in very small spaces with a number of people uh, um in in a a small space like apartment style um and i think there's this one commercial i saw where it's like even uh viruses and smoke and all of that can be spread in the duct system so just remembering that and filtering air would be another thing that i would recommend um we are seeing um that there is a decline in the number of children that are seeking um well child checks with their Pediatricians and also getting vaccines and immunization. So I would recommend that they still seek that care and know that. Some providers have virtual visits, so you don't have to go into the clinic if you don't want to. But also know that the clinics are taking high precaution to make sure that there is no spread of virus while you're there. So they're limiting the number of visits. They're limiting spacing in their waiting rooms. And you'll see doctors, physicians, nurses, um, and all of their staff wearing special uh, protection and mask and um, face shields in order not to spread the virus between patients. So it is important that they still go in and get um, their well child checks to make sure their children aren't developing any other health problems to get their vaccine so we can continue to prevent vaccine-preventable diseases like measles and chickenpox and whooping cough, and then also get their flu vaccine because As flu season is coming upon us, um, that can trigger other um, health issues that we see prominently in the um, Latinx and African-American community, and that's asthma. So we want to keep those in check and keep everyone as healthy as possible.
2: Great. Thank you so much. Is there anything
1: you'd like to add? Oh, yes. There's one thing. So um, physical activity. Um, I think – We're seeing an increase in screen time, and that's understandable given distance learning, virtual learning, um, but people are staying in in home, like safer at home, but it's still okay for um, families to take part in physical activity. The American Academy of Pediatrics and some other um, organizations still recommend at least 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity for children, and that can be very easy to accomplish. If you're indoors, they can play games like freeze dance or have dance parties. Um, You can still go outside in green spaces in your community um, and partake in 60 minutes of activity. So still wearing your mask, still being socially distanced so you're safe that way, but allowing your children to run around would be very important for their health and well-being.
0: Thanks, Dr. Janine Hall, for your COVID-19 perspectives and how to keep our bunchkins safe during this trying time. That's it for today's show. My opening music was, is Jazz Addict's Intro by Cosimo Fogg. Other music included The Way by Mike Light and Day Ahead by Joe Crotty. Links to all music and content mentioned are at undergroundmagnolia.com. That's undergroundmagnolia.com. Just click on this episode and voila, all info will be there. Email me with anything at contact at undergroundmagnolia.com. That's contact at undergroundmagnolia.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at UMPodcastDV. That's U-M-Podcast-D-V. Until next time, this is Desiree Valto, the only Desiree Avalto on the planet. For Underground Magnolia Podcast, I'm Kevin.